Last year, Japan's population shrank by 18,000 people every month. Well, let that sink in for a moment. In other words, every 30 days, Japan loses the equivalent population of a small city. That was Sakura Murakami, longtime friend of the pod and reporter who covers politics and social issues at the Japan Times. You're listening to Deep Dive, hosted by Corey Baird and Oscar Boyd. Sakura will be joining us today to talk about immigration and diversity in Japan. As the government fails to encourage its own residents to have more children, policymakers appear increasingly willing to tackle population decline by bringing in people from overseas. A new visa system will begin from April 2019, and it will allow for a dramatic expansion of foreign laborers. Estimates provided by the Justice Ministry predict that upwards of 45,000 foreign workers will arrive in the first year of the new system, and it could reach as many as 340,000 over five years. In today's podcast, we will be talking about the law, its detractors, and the issues facing newly diverse communities as the country's non Japanese population continues to grow. So, Sakura, how did you get started working on these issues? So, a few months back, I、um, went looking for places that would be able to give me a bit of insight into how Japan might look like in a few years' time when,、um, after Japan kind of starts accepting more. Uh, foreign workers under the new visa scheme. So、um, I ended up finding one apartment complex which I thought might give me a bit of an idea. It's called、um, Shibazono Danchi in Kawaguchi City、um, in Saitama. It's about 30 minutes away from central Tokyo. And yeah, I ended up spending a few months interviewing people in the community and、um, sort of researching other apartment complexes as well, just so that I could get an idea of. Yeah, what interculturalism in Japan might look like. So, what is unique about these danchi complexes compared to, say, another apartment block in, in Tokyo? And can you explain what exactly danchi means for, for the non Japanese speakers? Danchis are basically public housing complexes.、Um, the majority of them were built around the 60s and 70s to ease the housing crisis that happened around that time、um, because people were moving out of rural areas to work in you know, bigger cities. So, at the time, a lot of young working couples moved in and they built their life around these danchi. Basically, they had children, you know, built communities there, mingled with their neighbors. And so, this whole community kind of sprung up around these housing complexes, danchi.、Um, now, the families who moved in there at that time have grown older, their children have grown up and moved elsewhere. And that's why some danchi. Well, a lot of danchi actually have a very large demographic of senior people over their 60s or so. And what was unique about the Shibazono danchi complex that you actually went to? Well, in general, I,、um, danchi does have like an aging population.、Um, but what was unique about the Shibazono danchi complex was that、um, half of the residents, so it houses 5,000, about 5,000 families, but half of the people. Were、um, foreign people who came from mainly China, but also from all over the world. And the remaining half were and, you know, Japanese people who'd basically lived there since it was built, who'd built their lives in that danchi. And why do immigrants in particular like、uh, to live in these danchi? In Japan's case,、uh, the housing market can be a bit discriminatory against. Non Japanese people. Yep.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> well, case in point, in 2017, a justice ministry survey showed that about 40% of non-Japanese foreign residents had been turned down accommodation simply because they were Japanese, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, in the case of these danchis, because they're public housing complexes, it does depend on the type of danchi you're living in, but um, you know, you don't need a guarantor. The rent is relatively cheap and affordable, um, and they're not going to turn you away because you're not Japanese. So basically, it's a lot of families... Uh, move there who are Japanese in the past, and they basically have the same exact reasons for moving there as these current immigrants, right? And in that sense, it's it's basically the same. Basically the same. It's just their nationality is different, and the times are different too. So what were some of the interesting stories you heard from these residents? The influx of foreign nationals started around the 2000s. Mainly they were Chinese. Um, and, but by 2010, a tabloid magazine had reported on this, on Shibazono Danchi, saying it was a China Danchi. And, you know, detailing complaints that the local, well, the Japanese local residents had, which were mainly about, you know, how the new incomers, the, the new incoming residents weren't throwing their litter away po- properly, how they were loud, how, you know, um, some complaints involved toilet stuff (laughs) interesting (laughs) yeah i won't go into details so a lot of very basic things which kind of metastasize into like a larger issue for some of these yeah absolutely and were all these complaints genuine or was it kind of baked up by the tabloid press well that's what I couldn't quite tell. I, I mean, this was back in 2010, and things are so much better now. Um, you know, the I mean, there were there are some probably some issues still with throwing things away, but it's not at the rate that it was back in the 2000s. So, um, I've talked to residents. They have said that you know people were loud, etc. But these are all secondhand stories. I haven't seen any of it myself. And I should say for our listeners who don't live in Japan, Japan is a very particular country when it comes to throwing away litter, right? I mean, it is so, so hard. Well, it I mean, throwing the way you throw away litter is different across municipalities. It's, um, you know, you have to pay to throw away big, you know, big items like furniture or, you know, refrigerators, which I think was is foreign to a lot of um, incoming, like new residents in Japan as well, because the rules are so different from their native country. Right. I, I think I saw that you wrote maybe in the story or maybe it was in the notes that I was kind of sneaking a peek at, but you wrote that some of the Chinese residents were a bit confused about how the trash system worked in, in China, of course, um, they can maybe even sell some of their trash or sell some of their goods that can probably be reprocessed or, or whatever. I guess the system might just be completely different. Exactly. Like, um, yeah, I did talk to a resident who had lived in Japan for quite some time and um, she used to live in Shibazono. And, uh, you know, she had a very good insight into, you know, how the J- Japanese system works and how the Chinese system works. And how what she was saying was that, you know, it's just the way people think about waste is so different in China and Japan. And in Japan, it's, um, I guess, a bit of a chore. Like, you have to pay money to throw things away. But in China, um, waste is a resource as well. People make a living off 
buying, you know, waste off of you. So it, I think for a lot of Chinese residents, it might be very foreign, the whole idea of paying to throw away your things. You said between 2010 and now, things have uh, improved significantly. What have kind of both communities of residents done to help solve the issues they were facing? It's a combination of a lot of different factors, a lot of small factors, like, for example, in 2012, the um, Danchi's management company agreed to um, stationing a Chinese interpreter at the complex um, at the request of the resident association, for example. Um, like events were planned quite regularly, regularly between the residents. Um, so it's just like a combination of these little things that have made relationships between the residents much better. And yet in your article, you wrote that one of the residents said that the Japanese and Chinese communities there don't live together, they merely coexist. How does this relate to your actual experience of being there? Did you feel like this friction uh, was still in the air? One person that I talked to, who was, who was a long-time resident at the Danchi, lived there for about 40 years or so, um, what he said really stuck with me. I, th- I think it kind of ex- encapsulates what it's like to live in the Danchi. Um, basically, he said, um, he, he would say things like, oh, I don't mind that there's so many, you know, um, foreign people living in the Danchi. Um, you know, I talk to some of them, some of them are, fri- are my friends. But then he would also say things like, shogunai, there's nothing that can be done about it. It's, he kind of sounded a bit, you know, resigned. And um, I think those two phrases really show the ambivalence that residents feel about Um, And I guess in that respect, it's not just about having a foreign neighbour, for example. It's also about the changing times as well. The foreign-born population in Japan is actually increasing at at quite a a fast clip. We now have 730,000 Chinese residents, followed by 450,000 Korean Residents and uh, more noticeable, I think, in recent years, um, there's 262,000 Vietnamese residents. Uh, uh, that population actually increased by 31% last year. So, going forward, do you expect these numbers to continue to increase? And I guess taking into account what you said about the the Danchi, how do you think that these new communities are are going to integrate into Japan? Um, Well, yeah, I mean, with the new visa system, the Justice Ministry has estimated that there are going to be about, you know, 345,000 foreign workers joining the Japanese workforce during the first five years of the the new visa scheme coming in. But the thing about the bill is that it's mm, focused very much on immigration control, like how these new residents get a visa, how they can work here. But it doesn't talk very much about like the integration aspect of how these foreign workers can live in Japan. So um, that's been a criticism that's been leveled at the government. Can you give me some examples of some industries that will have an expanded amount of foreign workers? The biggest um, industry that will see the, the biggest increase of foreign workers is the nursing sector. So that's kind of taking care of old um, senior people. Um, Very polite of you. <laughs> these are figures provided by the Justice Ministry, and it's it's only an estimate for now, but they do expect about 50,000 to 60,000 
foreign workers working in the nursing industry under this new labor scheme in the first five years. Um, other industries that are probably going to have uh, be accepting a lot of um, foreign laborers are the restaurant industry. That's 41,000 to 53,000 people in the first five years. Um, there is also the... Construction, construction industry. industry. You were kind oh, of. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, so for 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 the listeners out there, uh, Sakura was actually. Uh, she looked like she was gonna dig a hole. So, <laughs> yeah. but anyways, uh, we we get your point. So the construction industry will probably see an increase of about thirty thousand to forty thousand people. So those are the biggest, the main industries that are really going to be accepting a lot of new foreign workers. What has the reaction in the general public been like to the bill? So as the bill was being debated in the Diet, um, there was a lot of, you know, debate, discussion um, and dissent. A lot of lawmakers raised concerns about, you know, whether the social security system in Japan would hold up with this influx of, you know, foreign workers. You know, people were worried about um, pe- uh, foreign laborers abusing the system. Others were worried that the foreign laborers won't be able to benefit from the system as well. So, you know, just kind of finding that balance. Um, People have also said that the law is a de facto immigration policy. However, Abe has insisted that it's not an immigration policy. And then some of the detractors of the law actually worry that uh, the foreign laborers themselves might be abused by the system. That's right. Um, Japan currently has a technical intern training program, like, which is based on the premise that it's sort of like an inter- international development, international aid scheme. But it basically lets people into the country, foreign workers into the country, lets them work in Japan at relatively, I guess, blue collar jobs for a certain amount of time. And um, then they basically have to return to their native countries. So, um, but the program itself has been accused for being a broken system, rampant with uh, dire working conditions, low wages, abuse. So um, the opposition party especially has been very vocal about saying that this is basically this new visa system is going to expand on that system, on a broken system um, that's not working. So with the limited time that these uh, people have with their visas, people then are just worried that it's a revolving door labor system. Yeah, I mean, the Japanese government and Abe, uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, has been insistent that um, like letting these foreign workers in into the country isn't an immigration policy precisely because they only have, uh, they're only going to be in Japan for a limited time. And um, because... You know, the whole system, the whole visa system um, and immigration system is based on the premise that they're only going to be here for up to, you know, five or however many years. Um, The Japanese government and the Japanese laws don't have a particular integration policy that has drawn a lot of criticism. You know, if we're going to let these people in, we have to um, create a system that can accommodate these foreign workers as well but the new law doesn't really kind of touch on that and so rather than creating a community where people live together properly and integrate 
you're coming back to the, the same community they had in the Danchi, right, where people are simply coexisting. Yeah, I mean, I think that could be a possibility. Um, one professor that I talked to for my article about the Danchi, Professor um, Keizo Yamawaki, was, insisted that a lot of the integration policy is um, the onus of and the burden of trying to integrate foreign people into the community is on the local residents and on like the local municipalities and he was saying that the government needs to do something on a national scale to kind of help these people but that's not something we're seeing in the new law so using your crystal ball that i know that you have how do you see the future of multiculturalism or interculturalism in japan so the thing about interculturalism is that there's no final form um, it's an ongoing, continuing process. and But then again, that's kind of the whole point of it as well. That process itself is what brings people together. One expert I talked to for the Danchi article said something that really resonated with me, actually. She said, um, people are always have to, going to have to go through the process of helping foreign newcomers integrate into the community that's you know explaining the rules you know, going through the motions so that's always going to be there and there's always going to be setbacks but the point is that you never do go back to square one the um, local community kind of, kind of can recognize the process and understand that you know there are going to be differences and that's kind of the whole point as well so um, I'm not sure about my crystal ball I don't know how <laughs> I, you know, the crystal ball is a, still a bit cloudy for me, but um, I would like to think You'll that... buy a new crystal ball. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I need one. But I do think that, you know, the process is going to be one that moves forward. Thank you very much, Sakura, for joining us in the studio today. Sakura Murakami's full report on the Danchi and multiculturalism can be found online at japantimes.co.jp where you can also find all the latest in-depth news, lifestyle, culture and sports from Japan and beyond. Deep Dive this week was hosted by me, Oscar Boyd and Corey Baird and our guest was Sakura Murakami. You can find more episodes on all major podcasting platforms including iTunes, Spotify and Stitcher and you can join the conversation on Twitter by following our account at Japan Deep Dive. If you like this episode, please give us a review and why not subscribe? Thanks for listening and see you next time.